Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. It's Friday, January 6th. In our first episode of 2023, we're looking at the legacy of the Marshall Fire. The fire destroyed more than 1,000 homes and damaged at least 150 more. The cost of the fire is estimated to top $2 billion. In December, just before the Marshall Fire anniversary, KUNC reporter Lee Patterson produced a three-part series that featured personal stories about the fire. In this first installment, Lee checks in with a firefighter who was on the scene. Sterling Folden is the deputy chief at Mountain View Fire Rescue. He was one of the first chiefs to arrive on the scene of the Marshall Fire. Getting there, he says, was like driving through a blizzard and fog. He shows me a video from that day. You got heavy fire in the buildings on the exit. What are we looking at? So this is just the view out of a battalion chief's window from that day. Okay, copy our wheels. The video is so smoky and dark. Embers, ash, and debris pound the windshield. The battalion chief drives past a home that is completely engulfed in bright orange flames while firefighters evacuate the neighborhood. It was worse than the video. Like, I couldn't see past the hood. Um, when I was pulling into the area. So it was really difficult to figure out what was going on. After making his way to Marshall that morning, Folden then headed back out in his car. I knew there were some homes up on top of the hill. Went up and there were a couple people at home and told them they needed to evacuate immediately or, or the fire would be here. The couple got in their car and left. I started to turn my vehicle around to get out and um, the fire was at the house. The smoke was so thick that Folden decided to shelter in place, unsure he'd be able to navigate the switchbacks down the hill. The fast-moving fire engulfed his GMC Yukon, melting his grill, emergency lights, and breaking windows. He's pretty matter-of-fact about the whole thing, his car being burned up with him inside. So that was a point where I thought, hmm, this is a pretty dangerous fire. This experience marked a turning point in the strategy that morning. Folden and a battalion chief on scene decided first responders needed to shift focus from saving homes to saving people. We just started talking about how this is, you know, this is something different and we just got to probably get people out of the way. Thousands of emergency personnel and equipment worked the Marshall Fire. Fire hydrants failed in some neighborhoods. Propane tanks exploded. An analysis of the response that day compared the area to a war zone. 37,000 residents evacuated, more than 1,000 homes burned down. All of this has weighed heavily on first responders. They're carrying around baggage, as Folden puts it. I still hold a lot of what I feel is responsibility and question Could I have done something different to have changed the outcome? Folden has lived and worked in southern Boulder County his whole life. He says he feels some guilt that he wasn't able to do more that day. There was still a couple lives lost, which is is terrible. Um, There was a lot of homes lost and a lot of people's memories and personal items. And I think that a lot of us 
take that personal and hold that responsible. And I think that's still true a year later. It is for me anyway. One third of his department's 150 firefighters responded to the Marshall Fire. Since then, some of them have needed time off. Some have sought mental health help, including Folden. He says that demand for Mountain View's peer support program has increased this year. They're working to expand it. Just talking to some of the crews that were out there that were, you know, covered in dirt and soot and mud and hadn't eaten for, you know, 18 hours and were out in the wind and, um, you know, their eyes were stinging. Like those things, like that image for them and me, we'll carry that for a long time. And I think I might have underestimated that from before something like this. As part of her Marshall Fire series, Lee also spoke to residents who lived through the disaster but are still dealing with the aftermath. One year after Kaz Yashtuk's home in Superior burned to the ground, he has a big decision to make, to rebuild or buy elsewhere. People are telling me, you are too old for rebuilding the house, yes? Yashtuk is 72. He came to the U.S. from Poland in the 80s for work. He and his family moved into the house in Superior in 1996. They were the first and only owners. The second thing, they are saying, okay, what do you need this house for? And my, my younger daughter even asked me, she asked me, do you have somebody? <laughs> no girlfriend. Yashtuk is single. So I'm, I'm kind of riding two horses at the same time, still not being sure where, which way I, I would go. Rebuilding would not be easy. The process is slow. Like so many others, Yashtuk is underinsured and would have to kick in his own money to make it work. Still, the reason he's even considering this option is because he loves his neighborhood. The house was near Greenbelt, with sports fields nearby and mountain views. But this, this is one thing, uh, location. Second one are neighbors. Uh, so neighbors are really amazing. This, these people are like family. After the fire, Yashchuk moved in with a neighbor whose house was still standing. Another has given him her basement to store all of his things indefinitely. Neighbors hold weekly calls to exchange information about rebuilding. You miss your old house? Oh, yeah. No question. I miss uh, mostly the atmosphere of the house uh, or memories which were lost. He remembers Christmas celebrations. His family would hang fresh spruce branches from the ceiling and sit down to a dinner of 12 Polish dishes, like marinated herring and cabbage stuffed dumplings. It was uh, repeated every year. So this, this was something which definitely I treasure a lot. His two daughters grew up in the house, and his wife, who died from cancer 10 years ago, passed away in the house. At that time, a family of owls was nesting in cottonwood trees behind their house. And she, obviously she realized that uh, she, <laughs> she will pass away uh, uh, soon. And she told me, OK, I will be visiting you. And, and uh, I will be coming as one of these owls. All of these years later, after the fire, Yashtuk was clearing debris, looking for pieces of the patio. And I, I was using my hammer I, and, and I hit the hammer, so making some noise. And out of sudden, 
an owl flew out of this debris. Uh, and I saw her, okay, it was her. Yashchuk says he will always have the memories that he made in his home, but he also wants to move forward. He's in Poland right now with his daughter, taking some time to think about the future. Yashchuk is giving himself a deadline of January to make the big decision to rebuild or buy elsewhere. The Marshall Fire's flames destroyed entire neighborhoods in Boulder County, but communities just outside the fire's boundary were impacted too. Hundreds of mobile homes were damaged by high winds. In the third part of Lee's series, she reports from a mobile home park called Table Mesa Village. On the morning of December 30th, strong westerly winds raced over the foothills near Boulder, gusting up to 115 miles per hour. Were you here that day? Oh my gosh, yes. That windstorm was so extreme that it started tearing my whole pergola apart. And so I just grabbed my cordless drill and went out and started like reinforcing it. Susan Gibson is the president of the residence co-op at Table Mesa Village. While she was running around reinforcing her porch, she was also thinking about evacuating herself along with her cats and her neighbor's cats. So I had all the cats in carriers ready to go. Gibson had packed up her valuables, computers, old photos, her birth certificate. That's some intense anxiety when you can see the fire, watching pieces of metal fly down the street and like whole windows and chunks of roof and whatever, you know. At least 450 mobile homes in Boulder County were damaged by the high winds that day. Roofs, siding, windows and doors were blown off and smashed. In the freezing days that followed, pipes burst. Gibson had ripped her kitchen sink out for renovations a while back. Then the pipes froze under her bathroom sink. So the only running water I have now is in my shower. That's where I do my dishes. (laughs) And it's like, but that to me, that is really the only damage I personally had. We walk around Table Mesa Village, a small community of 50 homes near Boulder. Things are tidy. Much of the mess has been cleaned up. Many repairs have been done. Gibson points to the side of an olive green home where a carport used to be. She didn't want to spend the money to fix her carport, so she just paid someone to tear it out and throw it out. Down the street, she points to another home whose black shutters blew off. See, there's still a piece of um, siding missing over there. Yeah. Next door. And then this guy's roof was uh, messed up because he had a swamp cooler on the top. And the wind blew this, ripped the swamp cooler off, and it ripped a whole bunch of his roof off with it. Research shows that mobile home communities tend to be more vulnerable to natural disasters, like windstorms, and slower to recover from them. Over this past year, some money has been available to residents through local donations, as well as through the state and federal government. It's a mixed income community. Some don't have homeowner's insurance. I don't have insurance because my house isn't worth anything. I'm not going to spend money on insurance. An effort is underway by the city and county of Boulder to get more of the repair work done. They're sending assessors to mobile home parks to check out the damage and to look for possible energy and water efficiency upgrades. They're buying materials and finding volunteers to do the work for free. So over the years, I've experienced a lot of really terrifying windstorms. However, that storm on the 30th 
was obviously way worse than anything I've ever experienced. Gibson has no plans to move. She loves her house and her garden and has put a tremendous amount of work into both over the years. But since the Marshall Fire, she's been thinking. Where can we go from here, you know? The next windstorm really will blow us all away or burn us all down, you know? What do you do as a society, she wonders, when the climate becomes inhospitable for human survival? Lee Patterson, KUNC. That's all for today on Colorado Edition. Thanks for listening. The Colorado Edition podcast is posted every Friday. Just hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If there's a story you'd like to hear, send us an email at coloradoedition at kunc.org. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda.